0: Often the attention on this podcast, and really in media in general, gets placed on founders of startups. But there are a lot of cool entrepreneurial stories out there of people who buy and then build existing companies.
1: Being able to to purchase the existing business, we kind of walked into a good chunk of business already. It wasn't something that we we left our job and had to build from ground zero. You know, we were already on the 10th floor by the time we took this place over.
0: That's Trent Kubik, who, along with his brother, purchased Winter Seed, an independent ag retail company in Winter, South Dakota.
1: We're seeing you know a, a generation change from the older generation, to the younger generation in farming. That requires a little more modernization in things, and then farmers getting bigger, and they they need to be efficient. If they're not efficient, they're going to go down the road to somebody who will And so we want to make sure we're in line to not let have.
0: After a few years of business ownership and a name change now to elevate agronomics, Trent's on the show to share some of the challenges and rewards they've experienced along the way.
1: And the fun stuff about ag retail is treating soybeans. And a guy comes in and wants to know what the plant on his field. We can talk about that all day long. It's the other, other stuff that comes running a business. That, that's definitely the, the challenge of the business. But there again, wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: Buying an agribusiness on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of The Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, you know, people shaping the future of the ag industry. And I have a really cool and unique episode on the podcast today. But before we dive into that, I do want to take just a moment to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which for the first time is a repeat. Quarterly presenting sponsor, Calgary Economic Development. What makes Calgary, Alberta, the engine of Canada's agriculture industry? With direct access to a strong agricultural base, Calgary is a well-connected region with collaboration across geographic areas industries and research and training institutions calgary has experts in all things ag including primary production crop science protein development ag and food tech innovation and animal health it's also a hub for controlled environment agriculture energy transition opportunities and value-added food and beverage processing calgary is a hot spot for agri-food production and technology development which is why multinational agribusiness leaders call the city home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. Go learn more about that at calgaryagbusiness.com. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. And thank you so much to Calgary for stepping up and supporting for the second time the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Trent Kubick of Elevate Agronomics. In 2020, Trent and his brother Troy purchased a long standing seed business in Winter, South Dakota, named Winter Seed. From this purchase, their new company Elevate Agronomics was born, along with the robust offering of seed and seed cleaning that the business already had. They added on chemicals, starter fertilizers, livestock supplements, precision planting, planter enhancements, as well as other miscellaneous ag products. Shortly after their acquisition, they took over operations of a similar business in a neighboring town and expanded their footprint with services out of two locations. Currently, they sell products into 10 counties in South Dakota and Nebraska. You're going to hear today about what led to finding this business opportunity for them to acquire, how they lined up their own financing for it, how they continue to manage the financial and operational sides of the business, growth and expansion opportunities in rural areas, modernization through technology and efficiencies, hiring and retaining employees, and so much more. Now, I will say uh, the audio today is not my best. Trent's Bluetooth headset wasn't quite working right. So we had to use the old office computer mic, which uh, can be hit or miss miss. But if you'll forgive me for that, I promise the content's going to be worth your time. So here is my conversation with Trey Kubik, owner of Elevate Agronomics.
1: Out of college, uh, I went right into the seed industry. So I worked for a um, larger seed company. It's It was called Producers Hybrids at that time. It's since merged in with a bunch of other seed companies to create LG seeds. So I worked in that for just shy of a decade. Working kind of various roles, uh, primarily district sales. So working with other seed dealers, spent some time in the in the ag tech realm of the digital ag space. Uh, kind of back when that was, every seed company was trying to make it a thing. I really never did blossom into too much. I went back into um, area sales and actually managed a group of district sales managers in South Dakota uh, for a couple of years up until the time this opportunity presented itself to. My brother and I, and it was, a, it was an opportunity we, we couldn't pass up, something we've always wanted to do. Uh, my brother also spent time in the ag retail coming out of college. He worked for a, a large um, cooperative type business being in sales agronomy. Did that for just like, 15 years. So I mean, I both kind of worked in the, in the industry. So something we were kind of geared to do is, is own a business like this. always wanted to own a business like this. They were afforded the opportunity that uh, the gentleman was, was ready to retire and, and get out of it you know, he owned it himself and I was looking to, you know, see it going into the hands of, of somebody local versus, you know, a chain type egg retailer.
0: Right. And had you and your brother talked about that before the opportunity came up? Like, Hey, you know, maybe we should keep an eye out for something we could do together.
1: We did. Like I said, even early on when there's seven years uh, in between us, he's the, the oldest of the four boys and the youngest, but even, I mean, early on in, in high school, it was always kind of something in the back of our mind that, Hey, that would be something kind of cool to do. Then when I saw him go out and uh, work in egg retail, that was something that I definitely... Um, I actually interned under him one summer at the co-op he was working at. He actually, two years before we bought this, he actually did take that leap of faith and went off on his own and did his own seed and chemical business just under his own, his own name. So we kind of knew he kind of got that start at it. And then that's when the, the talks really ramped up of, hey, uh, let's go work for somebody else and work for ourselves. So we just kind of thought maybe we'd do something on our own. And then when this deal popped up where an established business was ready to be sold out that really catapulted us into where we are.
0: Right. Right. And you know, how how did you find out that winter seed would be available for purchase? Is it something you guys had been talking to the owner about for a long time or how did that all come about?
1: Yeah, it kind of happened sort of fast. And, you know, looking back, it was, it was a lot shorter timeline than what it felt at the time. But I had had a, had a pretty good relationship. I and mean, we, we had bought seed from Winter Seed. You know, our, our parents bought seed from here. Being in a small town, so that was, that was nothing new. But when I worked in the seed industry, he sold seed that I represented. So he was actually one of my dealers for a few years and got to know him that way pretty well. One of those guys that you'll never outwork him, like ever. That, that was the hardest thing, I think, when he bought this place. Because he was here like before the sun came up and after the sun went down. And that's why so many people liked him and... And everything because they he was dependable he was always going to be here his wife ended up having some some health issues and and so something that he wanted to be closer there so we kind of heard a little bit through the grapevine from some other people who work within the seed industry that said hey you might be looking it might be worth a phone call or walk in there and took a lot of courage i mean that's not an easy thing to to walk into somebody else's business and say hey are you looking to uh make a change but Like I said, it worked out because he wanted it to go to somebody local. He wanted it to go to somebody independent. And it was something we were looking to do and and the stars aligned.
0: And was was that his reaction immediately? Just like happy to try to work out a deal with you? Or did it take time to kind of arrive at the point of figuring out, hey, is he serious? Are you serious? Is this really going to happen?
1: I I guess the part that probably gave me the most confidence that this deal might work is is that was his initial reaction. when he kind of lit up. Like, holy cow. yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've been looking... Didn't know how to approach it. Didn't even know who to talk to. And the type of person he was looking for walked in his office and asked about it. So that was, yeah, the big initial reaction is, yes, I'm, I'm interested. I've been looking. You know, he had thought about it, you know, obviously for quite a while before that. It wasn't a spur of the moment decision for him. And uh, like I said, it was kind of a stars aligning type deal. And then it took a little while, obviously, the, the logistics and the specifics and details of it. But, uh yeah, we were kind of off the, off the ground running from day one. And that made the transition uh, really... Really good. He still comes over three days a week. He actually lives 45 miles from here in a neighboring town. And uh, the company that owned this facility before before he owned it, he worked for it. And then they couldn't own it anymore. And, and so he, he jumped and so, uh, he drove drove here every day from quite a ways away to, uh, to get here. So he still comes over, like I said, three days a week, which is good because he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the seed business. A big part of our business too is seed cleaning. We're, we're still... Learning a lot about seed cleaning and the ins and outs of seed cleaning. And shoot, he's seen every situation that we can ever encounter. He's seen it three times. So that's what we told him is you need to keep coming over for the foreseeable
0: future. Right. So once you you go in there and, and you say, hey, we're interested if you ever want to sell the business and buying it. He lights up, says, yes, I'd love to sell it and I'd like to sell it to you. What's the rest of the process look like to getting there? It seems like, okay, you know, so somebody has to blink first, you know, in that situation is kind of how it sounds. What exactly happens to actually arrive at a transaction?
1: There again, the, the situation we found ourselves in were extremely fortunate because everything just kept lining up. And he always had in his mind kind of what he valued his business at. You know, if he would ever transition and sell, what he would want to come to. And and so he, kept, he threw a number at us pretty early on. Okay, hey, here's what I had in my mind for a long time that, that if I can get this out of my business, then, then it would make sense for me. It was the same number we had in our head. I mean, you know, it's not even making it up. So that part of the negotiation was pretty simple. Now, how we arrived at that number, that took some time of what you value this at, what you value that at. And then there's some you know, blue sky, essentially, that they're also purchasing. That, that probably took the longest of you know, what all makes up that one number. Like you said, we were fortunate because he was he was kind of an old school type of guy, but a lot of people loved him. You know, everything's kind of pen and paper with him and he had it all listed out, you know, down to brooms and shovels what they were worth. So that, that made our our process pretty easy and and simple. And like you said, it was a number that that worked really well for both of us. It put us in a good position, it left him in a good position. And uh, he he definitely put us on a on the right foot
0: to succeed. So with the price being in line with what you guys already had in mind, I'm sure you'd already thought about like, okay, how would we pay for a new business? Because it sounds like you both had good jobs, but uh, coming up with a lump sum of money to buy any business seems like a daunting task. So how did you work out that part of things?
1: Yeah. And that, that was the, the leap of faith that we had to take. It was a little easier for my brother because like I said, he took that that a couple of years prior. So he already kind of got over that big hump that I had to find myself yeah. in. My wife and I still joke about it that you left a consistently paying job to go do your own thing and not have a consistently paying job. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world and I don't think I'd ever go back. The challenge of it is it all sounds good, it all looks good on paper. We want to do it, all that. But then how do you actually make that decision? The biggest thing I'll say is for A, the, the purchase of the business and then to operate the business, is there has to be a really good financing institution. 100% bought into what you're doing, 100% behind you, a bank that understands egg retail. Not every bank does. And you know, we found that out fairly quickly. We did not go with our, our first choice or the first bank we met with because we wanted somebody that, that understands that we're talking big money. I mean, it's, there's big sheds, there's grain bins, there's lots of inventory. I mean, seven figures used to scare me, and now it's a million dollars doesn't go far anymore. So you have to have somebody that's, that's in your corner. And like I said, that, that understands how the business works you start putting these large dollar figures on paper and a lot of people look at that and go, geez, you want us to loan you that much money and what do you put up for collateral? You know, we were fortunate to find a bank that was 100 percent behind us. Especially our, our bank is local to South Dakota. You know, they're not a big national nationwide bank or anything. And those types of banks love seeing the local population succeed. Especially their small towns that are driven by agriculture, that they need agricultural businesses in those towns thriving. Because if they thrive Typically, the farmers are thriving too. So if, if they can work hand in hand, they really like to see that. So that'd be one advice. If somebody was looking to, to do this type of thing, do your homework. Don't just settle for the first one that comes along. Make sure that, that they're willing, willing and ready to partner with you. Because it gives a leap of faith on our part and a leap of faith on theirs too. Fortunately, they, they took it with us and it's worked out you know, pretty well
0: for both. I imagine the leap of faith on their part is you know what you're coming to them for is not just the purchase price of the business but also you know substantial amount of working capital so you can buy inventory and finance inventory. is that right i mean is it was it the same bank kind of for both, and was that all wrapped up in a kind of one one package deal
1: it was yeah, and they were they were willing to work with us obviously you know a business like this, like I said before, it has to be split out into kind of a couple of different ones, you know for management purposes and other things, and so they were you know, willing and ready to, to take on all of it. And the other benefit is they work with other ag retailers each other throughout the state too. So this wasn't their first rodeo, um, which helped. So they could kind of give us some advice too. The one thing we found a really big opportunity in is a lot, especially when it comes to seed corn, soybeans, you know, big chemical companies is leveraging prepay and being able to block in prepay. Because a lot of those big type discounts early in just how the business works is early in the season, you know, September, October time frame. If you can put in some prepay, you can lock in a lot of a lot of costs for our customers. There's some there's some opportunity for us to uh, add some additional margin, things like that. And and so that was one thing. It took a couple of years. I mean, don't get me wrong, we were two guys in our in our thirties that we we had to prove ourselves a little bit too. They weren't just throwing us everything and saying, well I hope it works. It was just it was kind of a stair step process to where we are today. But that was, that was one thing is understanding there's a lot, of, a lot of money that has to go back and forth. We bring in a lot of inventory, especially at times a lot of high-dollar inventory. It takes a month or two or three to send that inventory out, get that inventory paid for. So there's a lot of working capital that has to be available at all, at all times. And then to be able to leverage ourselves with prepay, because we're in, a, in an area of the state where we're very multi-species, diversified crops. So a lot of winter wheat, a lot of corn, a lot of soybeans, a lot of cattle. Things like that, so it's not your typical corn bean rotation where it's easy to go find a farmer in October and say, "Hey, you know, you prepay me seed, then I'll turn around and prepay it to the company." A lot of stuff around here is December, January, February type thing because you get into harvest, you get into calving, you get into wheat planting, and, and having the ability to go to a farmer and say, "Hey, you're in tractor cabs right now. I don't want to talk to you about it. you cut me a check. Let's talk in December when everything's all done." And it. so, so a bank understanding the value of prepay. And even though it's a big dollar figure up front that they have to work with us on, they know that return is coming. And so that puts us into a lot better position than if we would have to try and beat the pavement and try to collect checks from farmers during their busy season. It gives us some time, gives them some time, and uh, it puts us in a position where we can lock up and, and service a lot of business without doing it the hard way.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes, se- that makes a lot of sense. You said something earlier, and it's something that's crossed my mind a lot too. Which is, you know, the the previous owner was working his butt off because he loved what he did, and so did that make you wonder, like, oh man, am I just buying myself a job? Especially with you and your brother both doing this, like, okay, theoretically, we're going to take his owner distributions, cut those in half, and still probably have to work as hard as he's working. Am I just buying myself a really hard job?
1: Yeah, and uh, at times it feels that way. Don't get me wrong, because because a we wanted to. Keep and maintain that reputation that he had, and it, and it took two of us to work as hard as, as one person did. But another side of it is finding some efficiencies that younger eyes can see. You know, not, not being disrespectful, but just he's been doing it a long time, and I'm sure when when I get to you know my later stages of, of my career, I'll probably be stuck in my ways too. Don't get me wrong, but seeing some efficiencies where maybe we don't have to work so many hours to get the same amount done. We both have young families, you know. That's one thing that I, I don't work here until it's it's dark out and they're long in bed by the time I get home and get up early. There's times a year, obviously, that there's long hours. That's the beauty of agriculture and any farmer would know that. But it's definitely something we didn't want to find ourselves in that we're spending so many hours here working so hard. I mean, we I mean that was our ultimate dream was to be full time farmers, right? Not possible. And you know, we grew up on a small farm. So my parents thankfully are healthy and and still on the farm full time. So Full time farming wasn't really in the cards for us, but it's still something we wanted to do, and something we, you know, we still have. Like, we kind of say we have two full time jobs: so we full time farm plus run an egg retail business. But that, it was definitely challenging first, wanting to keep everybody's expectations of us high. But after you know a couple years of doing it, realizing that hey, we can do things differently to not have to be here so many hours. The hardest part is when it comes to seed cleaning because that's a, as much as we'd love to speed up, it just it works at one speed. So it just depends on what we're cleaning, what the time frame is like. This year, it scares us a little bit. It's been a heavier snow winter than what we've had in the past, which has slowed down that process. We've been shut down a lot of snow days so where we weren't running. So we're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. So there's probably some long hours coming. But uh, it took a couple years, but we're, now that we're, we've done it for long enough. Now we're kind of finding those, those efficiencies. More people does help, don't get me wrong. And having two of us here... He had a, an employee here that's, that was with him for a long time that thankfully stuck with us and stuck on with us and and knows this, this business inside now too and so having more people to kind of distribute that that work has helped out with that with more people selling and more people doing more business comes with it so it's a, it's a balancing act, but it's something we we strive for pretty hard is we have to balance these two things out. We can't just be married to this business and nothing else because then everything else will falter if that's the case
0: yeah. No, that's well put. And actually, that was something I was going to ask you about. Is is the growth potential? You know, for if we were talking about a you know plumbing service in Omaha, I'd be like, oh yeah, you you know, you've got five other plumbing services within a few miles, and you can go try to take some of their market share and grow. Uh, For this, it's a little bit different—a rural business, well established, well known. How do you think about growth?
1: Being able to to purchase the existing business, we kind of walked into. A good chunk of business already. It wasn't something that we we left our jobs and had to build from ground zero. You know, we were already on the tenth floor by the time we took this place over. So that helped out quite a bit. And just like any other rural egg-focused small town, is there's one or two grocery stores, but there's seven egg retailers in town. Right? There's you know, co-ops. There's other independents. There's a healthy amount of competition with us, which is fine. We we like it. We encourage it. We don't want to be the only person in town because then we probably would have been married to this place. But there, there was room to grow And the one aspect we saw for growth is to expand on more than just seed. Pretty much, if you could plant it, he had it here or had it available to him. You know, so there really wasn't anywhere to expand to get more seed. We, we sold more of the same thing. We expanded more on corn and soybeans primarily and finding new business. But getting on the farm in different ways other than seed. My brother came from his, you know, his background in egg retail was, was heavily chemical. Thankfully, because I'm still to this day, not as good as I should be when it comes to chemical and the names change every single year. It seems like the stipulation on how you apply them and all that stuff, but that was his bread and butter. And so that was something this business didn't currently have. When he brought on chemical, now you're bringing in the same person that was buying seed, you're bringing in for a second reason. So bringing in other types of products offered, his help, and then adding on things like yeah, precision planting, doing some more niche type products like the mineral line that we carry is kind of more of a premium mineral line that's, that has a different kind of clientele than if we just sold cattle mineral to every single cattle producer in the, in the area. And so bringing them in our door for other reasons. And then we've seen our, our share of business on that farm grow from there. Yeah, because that's one thing about, you know, the age old saying is they're not making any more land and they're not making any more farmers. And it's, you know, it's like there's, there's farmers to go get that aren't being serviced by an ag retailer, but... And having competition too makes us fight for it a little bit. You know, it, it keeps everybody honest. It keeps our you know pricing in line. Ultimately, it's a pretty darn good thing for farmers around here that there's that many people competing. And that's one thing. As we've grown, as we've done that, do we need to kind of shift you know how we're doing business? A lot. This business was built on walk business, and like I said, that was his claim to fame. is he was here, and since he was here, everybody could just drive to town. They were getting something else in town. They could drive over to Winter Seed and pick up their seed. We've stuck to that, that model, but now we have to start going after it, too, and going to the customer versus waiting for the customer to come to us and then trying to balance that to, to try and maintain both.
0: And, and were the facilities uh, large enough to support some growth, or were they kind of being maxed out as it was, or was that an important consideration?
1: Yeah, and, and that's one thing definitely has been the growing pain of this, because just some, some more background of our facility here. Back in, when I was a little kid, the core of this facility, the physical facility here, was an old feed and seed. You know that was been here since the '60s. I mean, it was just kind of local hometown zip feed store. You know, and when it was bought out, it had been bought out a couple times by some bigger companies, and they've expanded, built larger warehouses, larger seed cleaning spaces. The problem with that is when it was built, it was built when every grain truck had. You know, one axle under it, and there was an end dump, and you know, a semi was not heard of. That's changed a little bit since then. So our yard, when you look at, and we've we've had multiple semis in our yard before, uh, but it's it's a game of Tetris when you drive around our yard. There's really no place for parking if we're filling grain bins and we're you know backing in delivery trucks and we're we're dumping grain to be cleaned. We were definitely landlocked for sure, and there's you know around us there was no land in the foreseeable future that's ever going to come up for expansion. That's when we had our eye on the, on the ground. Our facility sits right on a, on a state highway as you come into the town of winter. So the ground across the road didn't have any, anything on it. It was just a hay field. And so you know, early on, we said, hey, if, if this deal's going to grow, we're going to have to have a little more space. The warehouse we have is a 60 by 200. When we looked at it, we thought, holy cow, look at how big this warehouse is. And then you start adding on chemical and all the seed and everything else. That huge warehouse looks really, really small in a really quick hurry. So we realized, hey, we need, to, we need to probably do some expansion. Fortunately, we worked with the landowner over there. They were, same deal, kind of looking to you know, maybe start developing that land a little more. And it's, it's worked. And so we're in the process now If weather ever does end up cooperating, breaking ground on, a, on an additional warehouse, a bigger office space, bigger seed treating facility, and just more room to move around. Keeping this existing facility here, it's set up pretty well for chemical. The seed cleaning is not something you can just pick up and so the unfortunate part is we're split by a state highway. Our businesses will be on both sides of a, of a pretty busy state highway. But it is something that, uh, that without, we'd be pretty limited at what we could do and what we could grow.
0: That's cool. Uh, now, so you didn't, you didn't know you'd have a chance of acquiring that real estate until after you owned the business, right?
1: Right. And it was you know, 60 months into owning, owning the business when it even dawned on us that, hey, I wonder if that ground would ever come up for sale. And so the, the guy who owned it, he, he farmed it as a you know, business owner here in town, too. When he was in our office, we were just spitballing with him and just you know kind of said, Hey, do you ever, would you ever think about selling that? And uh, put a light bulb up and said, Well, maybe. I mean, all we're doing is cutting kind it of for hay right now. That it was a pretty long process to, to get that acquired. And then to build a, the facility like we're building is another pretty substantial capital investment that... Uh, it takes a lot of planning on, on how we're going to do this and what does the future look like if we're going to make this kind of capital investment. But it, in order to keep going on the, on the trajectory we're going, we're, you know, it's something we're going to need. And, and there again, you know, efficiency was a big, big thing of it. You know, As of right now, how we treat soybeans and how we treat wheat, yeah, it takes a lot of people. Because we're so limited on space that you kind of have to fit a square peg in a round hole sometimes if you're trying to do some of those things. So... Good people is a hard thing to come by. And I think anybody that works in any business would agree to that. So it's either do we find a bunch more people to try to do this or do we build a facility that's more efficient that one person can run or two people can run. And just we make it as easy to do business with us as possible. Um, whereas we sat right now, it was, it was hard to do certain things with us like, you know, of semi load of treated wheat or treated soybeans was a pretty difficult task where now it's going to be um, a lot easier. And, and so, you know, we're hoping with that kind of it organically grows a little bit. But uh, it also is one of those, one of those things we're, we're trying to manage is uh, we don't want to make it look like we're just you know, making loads of money and we're just building all this fancy stuff because no question about it, we're, there's profit in this in retail, Just retail. Like, there's profit in any business.
0: Yeah, uh, there needs to be. <laughs> we're,
1: yeah, yeah, right. And so we're opting to invest that back into the business. And hopefully to you know, kind of show and prove to people that we're, it, we're here for long haul. This isn't, a, this isn't a one or two year kick and then... See if somebody else offers money and buy it out. Like this is this is something that we've, we're putting our stake in the ground and you know, we're going to build on this. And so we're we're really excited about it, especially a, you know just a, a modern office to come and do business in. Um, especially in the age of technology, we're seeing you know a, a generation change from the older generation, to the younger generation in farming, and uh, you know that that requires a little more modernization in things. And then farmers are getting bigger and they they have less time to do it and they need to be efficient. And if, if they're not efficient, they're going to go down the road to somebody who will be. And so we want to make sure we're in line to not let that happen.
0: Yeah. Could you talk about some of those efficiencies? You mentioned kind of like a facility that could be run with maybe one person as an example. Is that is that just automation? What other types of sort of efficiencies that better serve the customers and make you more efficient on, on your end? Uh, have you implemented and or are planning to implement?
1: Yep. Yeah, technology is a great thing. Um, you know, we've seen the automation in in farming equipment. You know, years ago, tractors driving themselves, planters controlling when they plant, when they don't, sprayers, all that. Uh, you know, and, and seed handling is no different. Um, especially when it comes to seed treating um, and having on-demand seed, especially in large quantities. When it comes to like winter wheat, where you know a semi-load of, of winter wheat doesn't go as far as a semi-load of soybean, so it's you're, you're working with large quantities. So automation is is a big thing. And then just storage to handle product. We don't have any more ground to put any more grain bins on right now. And so, you know, when that grain bin empties out, unless there's a truck right there right away to start refilling it, there might be a gap in when that farmer can get his seed and go plant. So, if we have more storage to have more things here on demand, ready when that planting window is really short, we need to get things fast. We need to have it here and ready. So that'll that'll allow us a space for storage, and then just the automation piece of. Somebody comes in and said, I want 750 bushels a week. We type it into the screen. The conveyors kick themselves on. The trigger kicks itself on. They pull their truck under. Everything's right there. We just have to make sure there's product in that system to keep feeding it and let it go. Or before, it was a lot of manual. Take it out of one bin. Take it to another bin. Dump it in that bin. Then pull the truck under. Then bring the treatment out. Dump the treatment into the tank. It all worked. It just took a lot of work to do it. We're now... That time frame of what maybe we're on our yard for two hours getting your stuff done. Now you're on our yard for 45 minutes, and just every little bit helps. That uh, now I just freed myself up for three people to come in versus waiting on one person.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And for, and for the people you do have to hire, you know, you mentioned this this employee that stayed with the business after you bought it, who knows everything and and really you know is still committed to to the company, which is awesome do they make them like that anymore i mean how hard is it to find an employee like that today and how do you keep them incentivized and motivated to kind of stick with it
1: yeah pretty dang tough you know we joke all the time that if we could find five more of him we would hire them in a heartbeat you know finding people to be able to do things without being asked or being told to do them it's just becoming more rare and if those people exist odds are they're already working for somebody that that won't let them go and that's the other thing we joke about too, that that paycheck we write to that employee is the easiest check we write. Because if you find good people, you need to treat them as such, You know, make them a pretty high value part of their business. Because when it comes to the grand scheme of how much expense we have running the business and everything, that salary might seem like maybe a small piece of it, but take that out. And all of a sudden, it cost us eight times what that salary would cost us. The other thing too, I mean, we're, we're ag retail people, we're farming people. I am not an HR person, uh, nor is my brother. And that was probably one of the harder pieces of owning your own business that maybe nobody told you about when they said, hey, own, go buy your own businesses. Figuring out payroll, figuring out benefits. How do those benefits work? What kind of benefits should you have? What companies do you go through to get that? All things that are, are not an easy thing just to roll into and do. But with that, Makes it a little easier on our side and on theirs is, is offering you know pretty well compensated benefits and, and trying just to make it streamlined and easy for them and for us and making sure you know you're you're comparable and and keeping them in a position that they know they're they're treated fairly and you know and we are too but uh, yeah I would say looking back over the past three and a half years since we've owned this business the hardest thing about it has been trying to figure out HR personnel other fun stuff. The fun stuff about ag retail is treating soybeans and a guy comes in and wants to know what to plant on his field. We can talk about that all day long. It's the other other stuff that comes running businesses. That's definitely the, the challenge of the business. But there again, wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: And in this type of business, would it even be possible for someone to come in that, let's say they were a grain merchandiser before. So no seed sales experience, no agronomy experience, no chemical experience to come in and buy a business like this and make it work. Not to
1: say it wouldn't, but I'd, I'd like to think we were put on better footing because of our background, where it came from. We've had a really good response with you know customers around this area that they enjoy doing business with somebody that's from this town. It's not a large multi-state co-op. It's not a multi-town, multiple location egg retailer. You know, So I'd like to think we're in a, you know, a little better position to make this business works so efficiently and, and successfully because of what we know and because of who we are obviously you know it takes a lot to to maintain that and keep it and everything that you, we don't just expect people to buy here because you are the local guys you know, we have to earn it too for sure but it's a little easier hurdle to jump when those people are coming in and when they write that check and a lot of times they're big checks don't get me wrong they're writing it to people that are from here they raise their kids here they you know pay taxes here all all that stuff that they're, they're keeping their business local. And that's, that's definitely hell.
0: Yeah. I think that's an important part of the story too. Like, you know, it's fun to talk about money and opportunity and growth and operations, but it's got to feel good to have sort of a business that's a fixture in the community and be able to kind of serve the community in that way too. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: You know, in talking to some other people that, that are our age that are, that are doing there's, there's a guy I talk to quite frequently, he's from quite a few miles away, but we do pretty similar things. He started from ground zero. He wanted to make a seed business and start a seed business and started for nothing and has built it up you know, pretty darn successfully. But you know, him and I talked back and forth and, and that's what he always said is, man, I would, I would love to have the opportunity you had to go in with, with your feet running. And so that, that's made, made a pretty profound difference. And it's, it's a lot easier to look for growth and to look for new things and look to do other things because that foundation was set and was here. And then we just have to make sure it doesn't crumble and we can build on top of it. So it's uh, it's not to say somebody can't do it from, from ground zero, and it's probably more rewarding doing it from ground zero than the way we did it. But it definitely helps without a question, especially when you're talking about you know pretty significant investment to to get into it. Probably more significant than if you would start it on your own. But then just the ongoing investment of, of keeping the business going at the size it is and the size we're growing it. There's some challenges there, but uh, we feel pretty darn lucky that we got to to step into a, a fully operational machine.
0: Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I think starting from zero is overrated. I mean, those early days of just figuring out, wait, who are we? Who do we serve? Do people even want this? Does anybody care? Like you get to move past all that. Now, granted, you got to invest a lot of money to get to that point. But You could focus on, okay, how do we bring more value to more customers from day one? I think that's appealing. And also the statistics out there is there's a lot of boomer owned businesses that who knows who are going to run them in the future. They need to change hands. So I think there's a lot of communities out there that have businesses in a similar situation. So what would you say to other people in maybe their 30s or in my case, my 40s about trying to find an opportunity like this and uh, assess whether or not it's, it's right for us?
1: agriculture more than other industry, it seems like we're, we're a big world, but we're small all at the same time. And, and the one thing that has, has greatly benefited us to the success we've taken this business to is the relationships we've made long before we ever thought about buying this business. And being able to earn people's trust and respect and everything else long before you ever thought... Like The, the guy who owned this business before, he was interviewing me to buy out his business long before he knew he was gonna sell it and I knew I was gonna buy it. If I walked in here and I was the, you know, the lazy rep that he never saw and didn't like and none of the customers liked and everything else, he wouldn't have perked up and said, Yeah, yeah, you're looking to buy it out and I'm looking to sell. You know, there would have been a lot more apprehension. And it seems like agriculture is so much smaller than, than other places. And you know, I think about it frequently, every relationship you you make or break in this industry could come back to haunt you. Even if you don't think it will, even if you think, well, that person's you know not worth my time and I don't care what they think of me because I'm never going to run into them again. Well, you might, even if it's in the back of your mind to say, hey, someday, I hope start now to build that kind of reputation. Other thing that when that opportunity does open itself, you don't have to start from ground zero and, and go from there. That it's a door you can walk through pretty quickly and then worry about how am I going to for it? How am I going to structure it and everything else? You know, this business is, is such a, you know, respect-driven thing. There's more seed companies than I have fingers and toes and all of them have really good seed. I, I mean, I, I claim the seed we sell is the best seed out there, but let's be honest, everybody has good seed. But the people that are selling the other seed aren't me. That's our differentiating factor. What can I do? or What can we do? or what can our business do that's different from the other good products out there on the market today? that people are, are having the opportunity to to buy. And, and so that's, that's one thing we've tried to live by. It, and I would tell somebody else is um, never, never burn a bridge in agriculture for sure.
0: Man, Tra, I really enjoy this. Thank you very much. Anything else you'd want to add or emphasize before I let you go?
1: The one thing I will say that it's been a little bit of a challenge. A blessing and a curse is also having a farm to go with owning an egg retail business. And not every egg retailer does that. And like I said, it, it works in our benefit because when we sell seed or we sell chemical or we sell a new biolog- you know, the biological, biologicals is kind of the buzzword now and cover crops and other kind of new things that people aren't doing right now. When we sell it to them, it's not just hey, I read this in a book or I I I talked to a guy who's doing this. We can say hey, this is what we're doing on our own ground. This is where we're investing our own money, and you know we're kind of putting putting our uh, our money where our mouth is. type deal of being able to, to also have a farm and raise cows and, and, you know, be a member of that community as well. But it, it can be a curse too. You know, neighbors looking at it, well, you're farming across the fence to me and I'm buying my seat from you too. You know, you're know, trying to balance that. Hey, I need to be here. I need to be present. I need to be working hard for our customers, but corn also needs to get planted, you know, so it needs to be harvested, things like that. So there's, it's a double-edged sword uh, for sure. But I think that's when they makes this a little bit more unique. I mean, we're not the only egg retailer that also farms, but it makes us a little more unique too that we have that real backing us to that hey everything we're recommending we're doing ourselves too and if we didn't think it was worth a darn we wouldn't do it.
0: All right, we're going to wrap up today's episode right there on that point, which is a really great one about his ability to be both a farmer and someone selling to farmers. Uh, Certainly some big advantages there, but you know what? Kudos to Trent and to Troy for taking the leap into business ownership. It's something that uh, I think there's going to be more and more opportunities out there for people who are my age, you know, 40, Well, I guess I'm 41 now, 41 years and younger uh, to, to maybe acquire some of these businesses from the baby boomer generation. So cool stuff out there. If you know anybody who, like Trent, made this leap and bought a business and is growing that business, I'd love to hear from you. Please uh, send me a suggestion of a guest that fits that description, specifically in ag, of course. uh, Tim at aggrad.com or on Twitter, you could DM me, or LinkedIn, you could DM me as well. And shout out to Shannon Kubik, who actually responded to my tweet asking for someone with a similar story to Trent's, uh, that is Trent's wife, and um, thank you so much to Shannon for making this interview happen. Thank you also to Calgary Economic Development. Go check them out at calgaryagbusiness.com. And last but certainly not least, thank you for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.